Hi listeners, it's Carter, here to tell you about an incredible event celebrating the launch of ParCast's first book, Cults. On July 13th, crime junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler are coming together for a night of true crime to remember. And you can be part of it virtually on Spotify Live or in person. The evening will take place in Los Angeles and feature discussions about the book, a live Q&A, and so much more. All ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley Flowers that provides financial resources to help solve cold cases and support families impacted by unsolved violent crimes. It's a wonderful cause and an evening perfect for any true crime fan. But time is running out. Register for your spot today at parcast.com slash cults. All attendees will receive a special signed copy of Parcast's new book, Cults. So don't wait. Sign up at parcast.com slash cults. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of emotional abuse, stalking, suicidal ideation, and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. It was a warm summer evening. Mark Gerardo was sound asleep. For some time now, he'd been spending his nights on the living room couch while his wife, Janair, took the bedroom. Things were tense, but luckily, Mark was a sound sleeper. He nestled into the couch cushions and ignored the sounds around him. He didn't hear the passing cars outside or the gentle hum of the ceiling fan. He didn't even stir as his wife walked into the room, her footfalls nearly silent against the soft living room rug. Janair watched her sleeping husband, a gamut of emotions running across her face. Love, despair rage. She didn't understand how he could sleep so soundly after everything he did to her, to their marriage. Almost without thinking, she started to caress the barrel of her magnum revolver. She stared down the sight at the opaque shape in the dark. Janair couldn't decide who to aim at. The sleeping man who'd ruined her life. Or herself. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Last week, we covered the many ups and downs of the Gerardo's tumultuous relationship, culminating in Mark's affair with his younger boss, Meredith. This week, we'll follow the story to its tragic conclusion. We'll see Janair begin to suspect then finally prove Mark's infidelity. Once the truth came out, everything else started to unravel. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Over 25 years ago, on September 29th, 1998, we watched a brainy girl with curly hair drop everything to follow a guy she only kind of knew all the way to college. And so began Felicity. My name is Juliette Littman, and I'm a Felicity superfan. Join me, Amanda Foreman, who you may know better as Megan, the roommate, and Greg Grunberg, who you may also know as Sean Blunberg, as the three of us revisit our favorite moments from the show and talk to the people who helped shape it. Listen to Dear Felicity, presented by Walmart on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Mark Girardo didn't know what to do. It was December 2017, only three weeks into his new job at the University of Delaware. Already, it felt like everything had changed, because in that short time, he'd fallen in love. Meredith Chapman was married and 15 years younger than Mark, but their connection was electric. Mark had cheated before, but this felt so different. Meredith made him feel like a teenager, like anything was possible. Things were moving pretty fast. They'd already said, I love you, and had started envisioning their lives together. There was just one problem. Both he and Meredith were already married. So they were at a crossroads. Should they put a stop to this before anyone got hurt? Or should they take the plunge and tell their spouses the truth? For Mark in particular, the decision felt more urgent than ever. After all, his wife, Janair, would be arriving in town any day now. While Mark developed feelings for his boss, Janair had been busy with other things. She'd packed up a decade's worth of their belongings all by herself, closing out their life together in South Carolina. After that was over, she could finally rejoin her husband in Delaware. She didn't know anyone in the state, but was excited to start a new chapter with Mark. Some of their best years together had been spent getting to know a new city. Things had been distant between them recently, but Janair was sure the move would bring them back together. When she arrived, though, she found her husband more distracted than ever. It felt like his entire world revolved around his new job at the university. He was always running off for a meeting with Meredith Chapman, his new boss. Even when he was home, he spent his time wrapped up on his phone, emailing or texting Meredith about some new project. And once work was done for the day, he didn't have any energy left to explore the city with his wife. Janair felt isolated. But Christmas was coming soon, which meant the university would be closed for two weeks. Then, she hoped, she could have some real quality time with her husband. But over the holiday break, Janair discovered that having Mark home wasn't the same as having him to herself. Though he physically spent his holiday with her, mentally he was with Meredith the entire time, 
texting, calling, and sending her inside jokes. By New Year's Eve, his split attention was too obvious for Janir to ignore. As they were getting ready for bed that night, Janir finally had enough. She asked the question that had been dogging her for weeks. What's going on? Mark pretended not to know what she was talking about, but Janir wouldn't let up. She pressed him over and over until he was backed into a corner. Only then did Mark finally make the decision he'd been putting off for weeks. He looked Janir in the eye and told her he wanted out of their marriage. But his newfound decisiveness didn't last. Within minutes, he'd already backed down, saying he didn't even know if he meant what he said. He claimed that being on his own for four weeks had reminded him of the independence he'd once had, but Janair wasn't buying it. She'd been with Mark long enough to see through his excuses. She narrowed her eyes and asked if he was seeing Meredith. Once again, Mark was given a golden opportunity to come clean and get it all out in the open. But instead, he chose to avoid the issue. He claimed it had nothing to do with Meredith. Before we dive into the psychology here, please note, I'm not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for the show. It's never easy to forgive a spouse for infidelity, but the way that the cheating is revealed plays a major role in the possibility of reconciliation. A 2001 study in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships found that forgiveness is most often given when the cheating spouse tells the truth of their own volition. In those circumstances, the truth can be seen as an attempt to salvage the relationship. If Mark had simply come clean to Janair when she asked him about it, the chances of saving their marriage may have been relatively high, but he wasn't sure he even wanted to save the marriage, so he lied. And that likely left Janair feeling even more distrustful and less likely to forgive him. Mark, for his part, was probably happy the fight was over, but the conversation had opened Pandora's box. Over the next week, Janir continued to pressure Mark. He denied that anything was going on with Meredith, telling her she was reading into things too much. But Janir wasn't dissuaded easily. She decided that if Mark wasn't going to tell her what was going on, she'd just have to find out another way. While she strategized to get her husband to tell the truth, Mark did his best to forget the whole thing. He'd narrowly avoided outing his affair, and he didn't want to risk upending the delicate balance. He and Meredith continued to sneak around, making trips to try new restaurants and ducking into their offices to make out in the middle of the day. Though neither he nor Meredith made any concrete moves to separate from their spouses, they started to talk about a future together. But Janair still hadn't given up. In early February 2018, Mark and Meredith had a work meeting in downtown Philadelphia. The event was scheduled for half the day, so they planned to spend the rest of their time downtown enjoying each other's company. Mark told Janair that he and Meredith had a full day of meetings and Janair wasn't happy about it. She tried to drive them to Philadelphia herself, but Mark refused, saying it would be inappropriate for her to come along on a work trip. So, Mark and Meredith set off on the 45-minute drive to Philly alone. After their meetings, the two of them spent the rest of the afternoon walking around, openly holding hands and taking in the sights. They finished up the day at an intimate Italian restaurant where they talked and sipped Cabernet for hours. Before they knew it, it was getting late. They ordered a pizza for the road and drove back to Wilmington, 
laughing, kissing, and feeding each other slices. But the moment he dropped off Meredith at home, reality started to set in. As Mark drove back to his apartment, he steeled himself for an angry Janair. But when he walked in the door, he was surprised to find an empty home. 30 minutes later, Janair stormed in, went straight to the bedroom, and slammed the door. Mark didn't want to fight right before bed, so he settled on the couch for the night. The next morning, Janair burst from the bedroom and accused him of lying. She told him she knew his meeting didn't last all day because she was following him. She'd heard everything he said. Mark wasn't sure what to think. He didn't believe Janair could have followed him the entire day without him seeing her. Changing tactics, he altered his story, claiming his meeting ended early and that he and Meredith spent the rest of the day working out of the office. Janair wouldn't hear it. She claimed she saw Mark holding hands with Meredith. She knew they were kissing on the ride home. Mark had no idea how Janair could know that, but it seemed easier to avoid the confrontation. So he simply shook his head at his wife and walked out the door. That fight was over, but Mark knew it wasn't the end. By now, he could tell Janair wasn't going to let the Meredith issue go. He didn't know what her next move would be, but he knew it wouldn't be pleasant. That Friday, Mark worked late at the office. He was just about to wrap things up and head home when his phone buzzed. It was a text from Meredith. Something was clearly wrong. Meredith was frantic. Her husband, a city councilman, had gotten a voicemail earlier that week from Janair. Rather than continuing to badger Mark, she'd apparently taken things into her own hands. She'd called Meredith's husband and told him about the affair. The truth was finally out. Coming up, Mark's denials pushed Janair to the edge. Hi, listeners. It's Carter with some truly exciting news. To commemorate the launch of Colts, ParCast's first book, Crime Junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler are coming together on July 13th for an in-person and virtual experience you do not want to miss. The evening will take place in Los Angeles and feature a live Q&A about the book, an exclusive meet and greet, and a discussion on all things true crime. All ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley that provides funding to law enforcement agencies and families to help solve cold cases. It's an amazing organization near and dear to both Ashley and Max, and another great reason to enjoy this wonderful night. And it's just days away, so visit parcast.com slash cults to register today. You can also catch the event virtually on Spotify Live if you are unable to join us in person. All attendees will get a signed copy of the book and a night they'll never forget. July 13th is fast approaching, so be sure to join Ashley Flowers and Max Cutler for a very special evening celebrating the release of ParCast's new book, Cults, all for an incredible cause. Register today at ParCast.com slash cults. Over 25 years ago, on September 29, 1998, we watched a brainy girl with curly hair drop everything to follow a guy she only kind of knew all the way to college. And so began Felicity. 
My name is Juliette Littman, and I'm a Felicity superfan. Join me, Amanda Foreman, who you may know better as Megan, the roommate, and Greg Grunberg, who you may also know as Sean Blunberg, as the three of us revisit our favorite moments from the show and talk to the people who helped shape it. Listen to Dear Felicity, presented by Walmart on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. With a single voicemail, Janair Gerardo blew up Mark's secret life. And to make matters worse, Meredith wanted Mark to get on the phone with her husband and lie. Mark wasn't convinced the stunt would work, but it seemed like the only way to potentially save face. On the call, Mark listened to Meredith address him as though he were merely an employee and feigned shock when she told him about the voicemail. He explained that his wife's accusations were crazy and blamed her behavior on a persistent frustration with his work schedule. Amazingly, Luke bought the act and wrote off Janair as a jealous spouse. Mark and Meredith breathed sighs of relief. They'd managed to keep their affair under wraps, for now. Janair was furious. She expected her voicemail to finally force Mark to be accountable, but no luck. So she decided she needed to be more direct next time. She needed to speak to Meredith's husband in person. Luke Chapman was a financial planner and a Newark City councilman. All Janair had to do was call and make an appointment at his investment company under a fake name, and she was in. When Luke entered the office for their consultation, Janair revealed who she really was. She told him everything she knew and even played him an audio recording of Mark and Meredith talking. But to Janair's astonishment, Luke Chapman still didn't believe her. For Janair, the moment felt like a slap in the face. She'd hoped that once everything was out in the open, at least they could figure out how to move forward. But after Luke Chapman's denial, Janair was isolated and gaslit. She almost felt like she was losing her mind. With few other options, she decided to confront Mark one more time. Valentine's Day weekend was a tense occasion for the Gerardos that year. Mark and Janair went out to dinner at a cozy restaurant, surrounded by couples gazing into each other's eyes and holding hands across the table. Meanwhile, the two of them sat in awkward silence, making clumsy small talk. Janair held in all her hurt and rage through the dinner, but when they finally got home, she exploded. She claimed that she'd cloned Mark's phone and would soon be receiving a copy of every text, email, and photo on his account. She told him that she knew he'd been lying to her, and now she was going to get the truth. Then she stared at her husband, waiting to hear his next excuse, daring him to deny it again. This time, he didn't bother to lie. He just said, I'm in love with her. From there, Mark told Janair everything. At first, she was relieved. It was the clarity she desperately craved, And now that things were out in the open, she started to have hope for the first time in a while. She asked Mark if he would see a therapist, and he agreed. The pair started couples counseling five days later, but they quickly realized that they had different ideas about what they wanted. In their first session, the therapist asked for their goals. Janair said she wanted to save their marriage. Mark said he needed to, quote, figure out what he wanted. He admitted to falling in love with Meredith and opened up about his conflicted feelings. He didn't want to hurt Janair any further, 
but he didn't feel like he could live without Meredith either. The therapist listened patiently to their situation, and in the end, he declared that breaking up with Meredith had to be Mark's decision. Janair should let Mark's feelings run their course. According to Mark, when the counselor made this suggestion, Janair was flabbergasted. Therapy was supposed to be her chance to feel vindicated. Instead, the man had basically given Mark permission to keep having an affair. When she voiced her frustration, the therapist reminded her that she always had the option to leave, but Janair, unemployed and depressed at 47, couldn't imagine starting over. On the therapist's advice, the couple entered into a very strange, unspoken arrangement. Mark continued to see Meredith while he and Janair went to counseling to determine whether they really wanted to save their marriage. Unsurprisingly, Mark felt good about this arrangement. All he wanted was time to figure out if things with Meredith were going to last, and he felt grateful that Janair seemed willing to give him the space to make that decision, or so he thought. One day around February 2018, Mark was at work finishing up before his next counseling session. He threw on his jacket and straightened his lapel as he walked out. As he did, he felt something in the jacket shift, then fall forward, then fall toward the pocket. Confused, Mark felt around. Something was sewn into the jacket on the other side of the lining. Confused, he cut the stitching and removed what looked like a USB flash drive with a small blinking green light. It was a recording device. Mark had been bugged. So that was how Janir had all her information. Now that Mark had discovered the truth, he confronted her about it. But Janir wasn't ashamed. She admitted she had a dozen different devices. Some were stashed in his car, while others were sewn into his clothes. At the end of the day, she'd retrieved the objects, downloaded the files, then put them back. Mark brought up the issue at their next therapy session. When pressed by their therapist, Janair agreed to stop recording Mark, but refused to give up any of the tapes she'd already collected. She insisted on keeping them for legal evidence in case Mark decided to divorce. The month after that was rough for everyone involved. Luke Chapman finally heeded Janair's warning and filed for divorce. Janair wrote a letter to the university informing them that Meredith was sleeping with her subordinate, leading the school to open an HR investigation. Rather than wait for the university to fire her, Meredith applied for a new job at nearby Villanova University. Her last day at the University of Delaware was March 16th. Her coworkers threw her a goodbye party, but Mark had to leave early. He'd promised Janair he would attend a St. Patrick's Day party with her. All three of them were keeping up appearances. Most of Mark and Meredith's co-workers still didn't know they were seeing each other, and the neighbors still believed Mark and Janair to be a happy couple. So Mark rushed home to change for the party. He was in the middle of throwing on a jacket when he felt a familiar feeling near the pocket. Outraged, Mark ripped into the lining and pulled out another blinking recording device. Janair had lied. She was still spying on him. He immediately confronted her, screaming and shaking the recording device in her face. Finally, after weeks of mistrust and second thoughts, he made up his mind. This was the final straw. He told Janair she was nothing to him. He was done. Then he marched out the door. 
As soon as Mark was out of the building, he texted Meredith, making plans to meet up at their favorite bar. Back at the apartment, distraught and alone, Janair fell into new depths of despair. Sitting on her couch, she took out her phone and recorded a video of herself. In it, she spoke in ominous, vague terms about how she didn't want things to end this way. Mark was right. She was nothing. She stopped recording. Then, she went up to the roof of her building. Janair peered over the edge, letting the chilly March air scratch her throat and raise goosebumps on her skin. She wasn't sure how long she spent up there. Hours, probably. At some point, late into the evening, she saw Mark's car return and watched him walk inside. Part of Janair was glad to see Mark. Now that he was home, he'd noticed she was gone and come looking for her. She'd left all the lights on and kept the bedroom door wide open so Mark would know she was missing. She figured that he'd probably be afraid for her safety. It would be nice to feel like he cared, even if it was temporary. Ten minutes passed as she waited for her husband to come bursting through the roof access door. Then 30. Then 40. After about an hour, she started to get impatient. She marched back down their apartment to find Mark, sound asleep on the couch. Outraged all over again, Janair woke him up, demanding to know why he hadn't come looking for her. Mark stuttered an incoherent reply, still half asleep. Now it was Janair who'd had enough. She shook her head and said, I'm going to do it. Then she ran back out the door. After a chase around the complex, Mark caught up to his wife, tackled her, and held her on the ground in a bear hug. Janair screamed and cried, but he refused to let her go. Finally, when she calmed down, Mark released her. They sat together for a moment, utterly exhausted. Over the following weeks, Mark and Janair started the slow process toward divorce. But unbeknownst to Mark, Janair was also planning something else. A dark, twisted plan, born out of pain and desperation. A plan for revenge. Coming up, the tragic conclusion of Mark, Janair, and Meredith's love triangle. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Now, back to the story. After 24 years of marriage, it finally felt like things were really over between Mark and Janair Gerardo. Mark might have been excited at the prospect of being with Meredith, but Janair was flailing, 
lost and alone. All she could think about was how Mark had betrayed her, how he'd stolen her good years and abandoned her when she was too old to start over. She began to believe that her life was through, and in the midst of her grief, she latched onto the only thing that gave her any comfort. Revenge. When Janair first moved to Delaware, she never thought she'd walk into a gun store. In fact, she was a staunch advocate of gun control. But that all felt very far away now, as she walked past glass cases filled with handguns, rifles, and shotguns toward the register. Janair already knew what she wanted, a matte stainless steel Taurus Tracker 357 Magnum. She waited nervously as the clerk ran a background check. Luckily, it didn't take long, and soon Janair was handing over a wad of cash, about $550. The clerk packed up her new revolver in a glossy black box, and within 20 minutes, she was exiting the shop as a new gun owner. Now, she just had to learn how to use it. Meanwhile, Mark was completely wrapped up in his own life. After so much time hiding his relationship in the shadows, he could finally be with Meredith. It seemed like a new chapter was starting for him. In early April, he hired a divorce attorney. When Mark informed his lawyer of everything that had happened between him and his wife, she was shocked. She even recommended he get a restraining order against Janair, but Mark refused. He didn't want to escalate things further. Besides, he explained, Janair was intense, but she wasn't dangerous. Instead, he chose to proceed with plans for divorce, but there was a catch. He wouldn't be able to go through with it for another month. According to Delaware law, Mark and Janair needed to establish residency in the state before they would be allowed to file for divorce. Residency requirements were six months, a benchmark that they would reach in 35 days on May 10th. However, Mark's attorney advised him to tell Janair about his plans for divorce right away. It seemed best to give her time to adjust to the idea. Janair had been the one to suggest Mark consult a divorce attorney in the first place. But still, when he informed her of his intent to file for divorce on May 10th, she took it hard. Despite everything they'd been through, some part of her had still thought they would work it out. That night, as Mark slept on the couch, Janair sat nearby, watching him dream about a life without her. It made her angry how peaceful he looked. She couldn't remember the last time she felt that way. She took out her new revolver, toying with the weapon. A plan had been forming in her mind for a while now. As she stared down at her sleeping husband, it felt more real than it ever had. Soon, Janair thought, she would be free from Mark, from Meredith, from everything. The next few weeks were a blur for Mark, but he and Meredith began the slow process of restarting their lives. They both got new jobs and Meredith found a new place to live. For now, Mark was still sleeping on the couch at his place with Janair, but he knew it was temporary. To show his commitment to Meredith, Mark even bought her a promise ring. The two of them planned to tell their friends and family about the relationship once the divorce was finalized. And despite all the difficulties, they were both deliriously happy. It seemed like their future together was finally falling into place. Janair, meanwhile, spent all day, every day, spying on her husband, torturing herself with details about his relationship. 
She obsessively listened to recordings of Mark and Meredith's intimate conversations. She watched miserably as the GPS tracker on Mark's car lingered outside Meredith's new house. And she waited, confident her suffering would be over soon. Monday, April 23rd, 2018, started like any other day. Mark picked up a coffee for Meredith, stopping by her house for a quick kiss before work. Janair spent her morning like she usually did, hunting for jobs and spying on Mark. They were supposed to meet for dinner that night to discuss the divorce at a little restaurant in Newtown Square called Firepoint Grill. While Mark was at work, Janair spent the afternoon cleaning the house from top to bottom. Then she got dressed, all in black. She put the dog in the yard, grabbed her gun from its hiding place in the laundry basket, and left. Mark arrived at Firepoint around a quarter to six. He texted Janair and she informed him that she'd made a wrong turn and was running late. Mark ordered them each a glass of wine at the outdoor bar and settled in to wait. But Janair hadn't really made a wrong turn. She deliberately headed in another direction, right to Meredith Chapman's new house. Getting in had been easy. All she had to do was break a single pane of glass on Meredith's front door, then reach inside and turn the lock. Janair already knew Meredith wasn't home thanks to the tracker she'd placed on her car. And as she waited, she watched the little green dot make its way across the map, getting closer and closer. Back at the restaurant, Mark was getting impatient. It shouldn't have taken Janair that long to get there. Plus, she was acting weird over text, accusing him of stealing their dog, then sending him a photo of a used condom in a pile of trash. Finally, at 6.15, Janair sent him one last disturbing text. It read, You ruined my life. I hope you never find happiness. Bye, Mark. The message gave Mark a very bad feeling. As he looked back over their exchange, he realized something terrifying. He recognized the trash in the photo Janair had sent. It belonged to Meredith. After calling and texting Meredith to no response, Mark knew something was wrong. She always answered her phone. He ran out of the restaurant and raced to Meredith's place 15 minutes away, dread growing in the pit of his stomach with every passing minute. No one answered the front door, so Mark ran around back and knocked on the glass slider. That's where he saw her, Meredith, his love, face down in her kitchen in a puddle of blood. Somewhere in Mark's panic, he realized the back door was unlocked. He threw it open and ran to Meredith's side, but when he got there, he didn't know what to do. He called her name and rubbed her back until Meredith's neighbor, Tim, arrived at the back door. Tim called 911 and at the operator's instructions, put his fingers to Meredith's wrist. No pulse. Mark was hysterical. Meredith's body was still warm. She couldn't be dead. The operator instructed both Mark and Tim to wait outside for the ambulance, but Mark didn't want to leave. That's when he noticed another figure on the floor across the room, dressed all in black. It was Janair. She was dead. The coming hours passed by like a nightmare. In a fraction of a second, Mark's life had been split open, his private affairs broadcast for the world to see. 
Time seemed to both stand still and race past, with every second taking him further away from Meredith and Janair. The police initially brought Mark in for questioning, but after searching Janair's computer and phone, the authorities saw her plan with gruesome clarity. Mark was released, sent back to his shattered life to pick up the pieces. He spent months in a fog of grief. He cried, he went to therapy, he had thoughts of suicide. Then he started looking for answers. Mark logged into Janair's computer and discovered hundreds, maybe thousands of files, GPS coordinates, recordings of Meredith and him talking, laughing, happy. Copies of Janair's suicide note, where she revealed that her backup plan was to kill Mark if he'd arrived at Meredith's house first. But that wasn't even the worst of it. He found a video that didn't seem like anything at first. It was dark. But as he squinted at the screen, he realized it was a video of himself, sound asleep. Over the sounds of his gentle snoring, he heard a strange sound, a metallic click. It took some time, but Mark finally realized exactly what it was, an unloaded revolver being fired over and over again. Who it was pointed at, him or Janair, he would never know. Mark continued to process what had happened for the next two years. During that time, he started to feel like his story their story needed to be told. From his perspective, the media frenzy after the murders had gotten so much wrong. It painted him as a cheating husband who drove his wife to murder, and Meredith was framed as the mistress who had it coming. The narrative made it extremely hard for Mark to move on. He couldn't help but feel it was the reason his and Meredith's former co-workers threatened to take out a restraining order on him. Perhaps it even contributed to both Janair and Meredith's families refusing to invite him to the funerals. Mark felt maligned and misunderstood. He needed to set the record straight. So, he wrote a book. Ironically, Janair's extensive surveillance provided ample research. He went through all of her recordings, photos, emails, and purchases during the months leading up to that fateful day. He even included the suicide note she had written for her family, which he printed almost in full. Many of the details from this very story are from the pages of Mark Gerardo's book. Mark claimed that writing the book was an act of therapy, his way of working through what had happened. When he finished writing, he went on a press tour to promote the book, doing the rounds with outlets like ABC, People Magazine, and Dr. Oz. He hoped the press tour would help him shine a light on mental health and gun issues, as well as to humanize both Meredith and Janair. And perhaps it did offer him a kind of clarity. But the truth is that Mark Gerardo might never fully understand the woman he married, the misery Janair felt, her desperation, or her final terrible act that ended two lives in a matter of seconds. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. For more information on Janair, Mark, and Meredith's tragic story amongst the many sources we used, we found Mark Gerardo's book, Irreparable, to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. 
Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Scott Stronach. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Danny Messerschmidt. Edited by Georgia Hampton and Terrell Wells. Fact-checked by Haley Milligan. Researched by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. And produced by Bruce Katovich. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Hi, it's Carter, here to remind you that a very special evening with crime junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler is just days away. It's an event celebrating the release of ParCast's first book, Colts, and you can be a part of it virtually on Spotify Live or in person. The evening will take place in Los Angeles on July 13th and feature discussions about the book, a live Q&A, and more. Plus, all ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley Flowers that provides financial resources to help solve cold cases and support families impacted by unsolved violent crimes. This has all the makings of being the true crime event of the year, so don't miss out. Register for your spot today at parcast.com slash cults. All attendees will receive a special signed copy of Parcast's new book, Cults. That's parcast.com slash cults to sign up today.